Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Teaching Wild Black podcast. I'm your host, Dre, and I'm so excited to share this journey with you. Since this is the first episode, I figured my first guest should be someone very special to me. She's young, she's gifted, she's Black, <laughs> she's my sister, Angela, here to share the mic with me. Say hi. Hey, hey, hey. How's it going? All right, a little bit about Angela. She earned a Bachelor of Arts in Geography from Stephen F. Austin State University and a master's in secondary education from Texas State University. Eat them up, cats. She just wrapped up her year seven of teaching sixth grade world cultures in one of San Antonio's largest school districts and has coached basketball, soccer, and volleyball. And prior to teaching, Angela worked at our father's engineering firm in Wincrest, Texas. So Angela, is there anything else you wanna tell the listeners about yourself? Um, you know, that geography is a passion of mine, like the idea of learning about cultures. And so I, I feel like sixth grade is perfect for me. You know, outside of that, enjoy spending time with you guys. Fam- uh, karaoke is a fan favorite uh, of mine as well. <laughs> All right. So let's start with an icebreaker. If you could have a famous mentor for a day, who would you spend the day with? I'm going to choose Oprah Winfrey for a lot of reasons, but start off with, you know, she's a black woman and um, I think she's, she's had so many obstacles. Uh, you think about, you know, where she's come from and where she's ended. And then the fact that like, she's never given up on her like love to educate herself, um, to educate others. She definitely stands up for women and she, you know, she's a woman who has, has definitely been impacted by this world that's male dominated by, you know, white men and has made a way for herself. So I think she's always willing to to learn from others, but then she's willing to teach. So I know for sure she'd have something to say and like offer back. And I don't think it's necessarily just for like black people. And I think it's for people in general. I think her lessons are for for everybody. So it, it would be good to learn from her. Okay, but what would you and Oprah do for the day? I mean, apparently she has the avocado um, <laughs> uh, in her backyard. Um, see those. Um, I I think, I mean, just to see her day-to-day, what she does, I think just even from that is a learning experience because you have this woman who, I mean, has it all essentially, but is still wanting more. And I don't think she wants material things. So I think just, you know, walking around her estate and just being able to ask questions and listen. Because um, even when you look at like her old interviews with, you know, Maya Angelou or anybody else, it always seems like she she just literally sits down and talks. But you don't have to do anything in particular. You don't have to like be out doing some fun adventure. It's just she's willing to sit down, listen, and sit down and talk. So I think that, I mean, obviously, I'm sure she has some amazing food that can be served during this time. Um, so that, that I would want to go to her house. I don't think she needs to come to mine. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> so let's talk more about your role as a world cultures teacher. As a world cultures teacher, what goals do you have for your students and even for their parents? Um, For world cultures and teaching the kids, I think my focus has always been to um, have students gain an appreciation for the world they live in. So that appreciation is not only for their own culture, because I think some of them need that as well. They don't really know their culture because they don't know what culture is, but to gain an appreciation for cultures that they're involved in, but then also cultures that they're not a part of. And then um, their parents, the same thing, that it's not about um, forcing 
a specific culture on your child or forcing these cultures um, on anyone. It's about learning about them so you can appreciate them. I always think about, you know, things that I don't particularly care for. So all cultures, I think I can appreciate them, but there are some things about certain cultures I don't like, but it doesn't mean that that culture is less than or that my culture is more than theirs. It's always just about like, this is what they do. I would rather not do that. Um, but I can appreciate the fact that they've been doing this for a thousand years and this is how life works for them. And it's it's been able to make many people happy. Um, it just doesn't make me happy. And so um, I think just to appreciate that our world is interconnected no matter how much we don't want it to be, but to just appreciate what's there um, learn to like what you like, learn to appreciate what you don't like kind of thing. So what would you say has been the most rewarding part of teaching world cultures? Um, the most rewarding part is when you get like a parent that walks up to you and says something like, you know, five months ago, y'all were learning about this. And, you know, I, I learned about that. Like that was this, that was me as an adult first time learning about that culture. Um, when, when they talk about, you know, apartheid South Africa, you know, meeting a parent who may have been in South Africa and say, you know what, growing up, the way you taught it is the way it was for us. It, it wasn't, you know, you didn't, you know, whitewash it or anything like that. That's, that's what it was for us. And I can appreciate that. Um, and, you know, the ones who wish that they can come to my tutoring, those types of things where you're like, oh, okay, even adults who have been just watching their kids homework or watching their kids work, come home. And they're just like, man, this class seems something like I would want to take and I'm a whole adult. Um, and then for the kids is whenever you hear them having these real world conversations with their parents and their parents are saying like, hey, we're at Disneyland and my kid is talking about that poster over there is propaganda. And you're like, it is propaganda. It's Disneyland. The whole thing is. But the fact that they're making that that um, connection and they're able to tell it to their parents in a way that their parents fully understand that they got that from a class, that they didn't just randomly get that on YouTube, the way they're getting some of these other um, ideas about what life is like. Right. So on the other other end of it, what has been the most re, most challenging aspect of teaching world culture? The most challenging comes from um, probably the adult perspective. It's, you know, the, the kids are learning, the kids are getting what they need. They're they're gaining these appreciations. They're understanding their world. And then, you know, an adult comes and kind of shoots that down. Um, you know, you get emails sometimes and even parent conferences where it's like, you know, why is my child learning about Islam? And, you know, there's some good things that happen. You have capitalism. For some, they say that's good. Some say it's bad. Um, but then you also have, you know, slavery that comes in with that. And you have things like apartheid. You have Jim Crow that is a reflection of it. And they don't want them to really know what it's like or, um, only want to hear about Martin Luther King, but don't realize like there's other aspects of that. There's there's Malcolm X. There's other people who actually think pretty similar to what you know um, some of these other um, imperialists thought. The only difference is their skin is different, so they can't have those ideas. Just this set of people, and so sometimes you'll have that obvious tone of well, we don't want to learn about that part, although that's part of the culture that's part of the history of America and everywhere else really so can you tell me what it's like teaching about let's say the civil rights movement as a black teacher in a predominantly uh non-black school oh yeah, yeah. um first off it's it, it the the kids make it weird too so <laughs> like the idea you know 
I grew up, we grew up where like saying white or black wasn't, it wasn't taboo. Um, you were, you were white, you're white. If you're black, you're black. Um, the kids, they, they want to whisper race. They want to tell each other like, you know, it's because they're black. You know, like you can just say it. It's they were black. And the rule was that if you were black, you weren't supposed to go there. Um, and same thing with white. It's like, well, you know, in this story, it's a white woman and this is a a black man. So, yeah, you know, that that's the problem in their story. Um, it goes against the culture's laws. And so... Um, it's uncomfortable for them, but you have to just keep repeating it. It's more or less like if you say it with confidence, eventually they get over it. Or if you tell them like, it's okay. It is, you know, if that person's Hispanic, they're Hispanic. There's nothing racist about that. Um, but it's also enlightening because the kids themselves, they don't know about so much. And, you know, they're sixth graders and they're coming into this world where they only know the the glorified um, heroes. So they lo they know about... Martin Luther King, but they don't really understand what he was really doing. They understand that, you know, in order for this to work out, a lot had to happen. So we do like DBQ projects where we talk about, you know, comparing, you know, Gandhi to Martin Luther King to Nelson Mandela and how all of them have done the same thing, but these are three different continents. And so they start realizing like, whoa, it's not just in America. It's you, you mean to tell me that Indians in Asia had the same problem? You mean to tell me that in Africa, they, there's, you know, there are issues with race there when we know that it's predominantly Black? Um, and so they see it from these different perspectives and kind of better understand, like, well, this has happened. And then they better understand why it happens as we lead up to it. So it's not, I think, to teach civil rights is, it's... Um, it wouldn't be just to just teach that, oh, there's a civil rights movement. I think you have to lead up to it. And so we never just, oh, it's Black History Month, let's let's go over civil rights. It's always later in the year because they have to first learn about economics and government. They have to learn about trade. They have to learn about imperialism, colonization, to realize that all of that happened. And during this, it was building up to what you would see as Martin Luther King's civil rights movements and things like that. So for them, they it makes more sense because it doesn't just hit them. Just, you know, when they when you see it on the news, it's just there. It's just like, oh, you know, another black guy's dead. Well, how, why why are they so mad? You know, they get to see like why it is maybe a little more frustrating because they're seeing there's a history, there's a pattern of it, um, and it's not always just you know civil rights with black people. They know that civil rights is with women. Civil rights is with, um, you know, religion, that it's with um, age, it's with everything that that we learn about what civil rights means in general, um, learning about the United Nations and talking about what they are, you know, United Nations is created the civil rights, um, a list of civil rights. And without that list, would, you know, Martin Luther King be as successful? We don't know. Would Nelson Mandela ever got out of jail if United Nations never put out a list of 30 civil rights that they're saying should be protected? That's still not 100% correct because culturally there's some issues depending on what you believe in, but it still lays a foundation for them to say like, oh, well, it makes sense that you would be mad because the, you literally signed as a, as a country, you said that this was supposed to be the rights of everybody. Everybody was supposed to get the right to vote. Everybody was supposed to have a right to a democracy. But then all of a sudden, this group doesn't. So, okay, I understand it now. 
Okay, so after hearing you talk about teaching civil rights, um, you know, for our listeners, we are teachers in Texas. And so you guys know that Texas is um, a red state. It is a conservative state. And um, we know that there has been a lot of push for um, banning books that cover racial topics and gender identity and sexuality. We know that there's been a push for um, banning of critical race theory. That has been a whole (laughs) interesting conversation. Um, There has been a push against anti-racist curriculum or anti-racist thought. And so in thinking about what what world cultures is and what you teach and what you expect your students to know and understand, how will this sort of anti-racism or push against anti-racism curriculum, how's that affect like what you're teaching in your class or what you will teach in your class next year? I feel like, first off, I think there's a misconception that, like, as a teacher, you're supposed to push these ideas on on kids. Like, I mean, you know, the English teacher is supposed to teach you English grammar. Um, and that, to a certain extent, there's only, you know, one right way to properly speak English um, in America. Um, and so in mine, it's a little different because we teach as geographers, it's it's history, but then there's this mix of, you know, the culture part of it, and you can't change history. It happened. It is what it is. Um, over time, cultures created law. That was part of civilization. You created law to cre- create a sense of organization because people decided we were going to live together because that wasn't always a thing. And so to understand your culture, you have to understand what it was like in the past. You have to understand where how you've gotten to that point. Now, unfortunately, for the most part, you only know what's been written down. You only know what's been able to um, be preserved through time. And so through that, we know that there have been times where people were persecuted. There are people are being kicked out, who were being treated differently just because, whether we're talking about Romans or we're talking about 2022 people have always been pushed out in some way or there have been differences that have led to conflict. And so for people to say, you know, especially these politicians to say that, oh, you know, we're not going to teach the part of history where there was a group of people who were are victims of racism. That's what they are. And that we're not going to teach what happens with that is really taking out the fact of your evolution as a culture. It's you shedding yourself off of what you could be, what you can, what you are and what you were. Um, and we always talk about growth. We want the kids to grow, right? You think about your kid at one point could barely lift their head and there's a stage and like, boom, they lift their head. Let's go to the next stage till they're walking and running. Well, the kids are going to be at a disadvantage. And as adults, I can only imagine the craziness that would come about if they really didn't know where they've been and why the world looks the way it looks today because that's kind of what we teach is the world looks the way it looks because this happened and so if you're saying we're not going to ever learn about the fact that there were a group of people who went around and thought that they were better than another it's doing a disservice to those youth who are going to grow up and supposed to run a country because they in their minds are going to be naive it's naive to think that someone won't look at you and say I dislike you literally because of who you are. Is it naive to 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 believe that as a child? Yeah, but as an adult, you don't want to be a naive adult. Being a naive kid is one thing. We don't want that either, but that's one. But you can't be 55-year-old and really think that, like, never in a point in time were your people ever hurt. 
never a point in time your people never hurt someone else. It's not to say that you're bad. It's just that's the fact of the matter is that as a woman, you get a CEO position. You should be thanking every woman that ever fought for your right to be a CEO because we know through history, women were told at one point that we couldn't even run because we were going to break apart. Could you imagine not knowing that like people actually worked to get you this point, that people died for you to get to where you were at, whether you're white, black, or any other, but people have died literally so that you can get to where you're at. Well, why did they die? Because somebody put into law or put into action that you were supposed to die just because you were that, not because you've done anything wrong, because you were born in this world and didn't fit the mold. Um, and so you don't want, I don't, I don't think that it'd be fair to have a generation of people who are ruling the world and never knew what their ancestors did or never knew what their ancestors went through. Because I mean, let's be honest, even though you're white, it doesn't mean that you were racist. It could have been a white person um, who's part of a family who had to move away because you weren't racist and that you didn't get to live the life you wanted to live because you had to go and run away and hide because maybe the KKK was against you too. Um, and so I think that whole critical race theory, it's just, I don't know, it's a bull. It's it just, to me, it builds, it's going to build a future that's like horrible. I can't imagine an adult being that naive. Right. <laughs> okay, so I want to take a moment to switch gears. Um, I think it would be remiss of us not to talk about the latest school shooting tragedy that happened in Uvalde, Texas. Um, we know that 19 students and two teachers were killed. And we know that this sort of cycle of thoughts and prayers and shifting blame and heated uh, conversations on gun reform have started again. And along with those gun control and gun reform conversations, discussions have again started about arming teachers. What are your thoughts? Well, they don't pay us enough for this. Um, <laughs> it's like, they, they don't pay us enough. So, one do I, I don't th I don't think many uh, many individuals in the teaching field are going to have the um, stability that it takes to carry a gun to school and be a first responder in that sense um, because that's that's not you didn't sign if I wanted to do that I would have signed up for the military I'd have been a police officer because all of us meet those kind of requirements so um, for you to say that it person who is supposed to be loving towards children is supposed to teach peace and all these things but then is supposed to walk around and do all of that with a gun on their hip seems a little bit um wild it's 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 a theory that i don't think works out um at all i think it's more dangerous i think people forget the type of classroom environments that we do have um is you know there's in that speak about um, wanting to arm teachers, there's also a conversation going on in the background about the mental stability of children um, and mental health. And so um, with mental health issues being in the classroom, do you really want 36 kids who at any time could be having a, a bad day um, that are easily peer pressured um, to be around an adult who has to do one-on-one -on -one with one of those 36 children with her back turned to one of those children who could potentially be hit. And so we know that there are kids, especially the older they get, they do get violent and they're, they're the size of adults. Um, there are sixth graders who are bigger than I am and I'm a grown woman. Um, and so is it, it w the moment that a kid who is unstable or is having a rough day decides to overpower that adult and take that gun and use it against, it'll be on that teacher. 
it'll be on that school district all of a sudden. It's going to be, well, that teacher wasn't prepared. How, I mean, how are you going to say that? We've seen how um, the one teacher, and I don't, I don't know her name. I, I feel like they still haven't released oh, her the identity, the but they've scapegoated her with the door. And, you know, I understand our doors are not supposed to be propped open, but it's just been really interesting to watch this unfold because blame has just been shifted over and over and over. And um, I would just, I just know, or I feel very deeply that if my district armed me, and, and I am, uh, I do un- own a gun. I have uh, my license. I have trained. I shoot pretty well. But I, I just don't think that my district's going to have my back if anything no. happens. And I think that they would crucify this teacher. <laughs> while, while I have not um, experienced the sort of violence that some of my peers have, I just cannot even imagine a student, um, you know, disarming a teacher and then using that. But on the other end of that for me, in working on my dissertation, my first topic, I wanted to talk about discipline disparities. And so I was knee deep in that data about the uh, exclusionary discipline practices. So like out of school suspension, um, in, school, in school suspension, the um, alternative schools and the disparities between our students of color, specifically our African-American or black students um, versus their non-black counterparts. And so I'm just thinking to myself, we can't even get it together when it comes to disciplining um, our black students. It scares me deeply to think that these same educators have a gun on their hip or Mm -hmm. in their file cabinet, whatever it may be. Um, I also think there's sort of this, we talk about how black kids are often seen as older yes. regardless. Um, and so for some reason, some people feel very intimidated by black children. And I, yes. again, cannot imagine my child, my nephew, my uh, cousin, any of them in a classroom um, and having to think about the fact that their teacher has a gun on their hip and what does their teacher think about them and feel about Mm -hmm. them. And another piece of this for me outside of that is, you know, this is, I just finished year 14 of teaching. And I will tell you as an elementary school teacher, um, I thought common sense was gonna be more common than it is. You're laughing. But I am so serious. I I will tell you, sometimes it surprises me um, that some of these people are teachers and and some of these people are veteran teachers. And, you know, I've worked with some great coworkers, some very intelligent coworkers, but I've also worked with ones that that just fall apart, fall apart in crisis. I mean, student passes out, the teacher's crying. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's like, why are we going to put this extra pressure on these teachers oh, that no. are barely making it now? No, like they're sure. just trying to get, they're just trying to get fourth grade math together. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I feel you. The, the, I mean, there's some, I'm like, man, you're, you're having a rough day. And when you listen to the story, I mean, for them, it is rough, but then for you, you're like, ah, this is just in a day's work. Um, so yeah, I don't think, no, I, I think the, the, the mental stability of someone with a gun needs to be more than what's provided in a school classroom, uh, in a school atmosphere. 
um, it's it's a lot. I mean, and then it's how are you supposed to really do your job if you're also supposed to be thinking about that literally? I mean, it's that would have to be on the forefront of your mind every day because now I'm not worried about teaching world cultures. I'm one making sure I don't get disarmed first. Like mm-hmm. that's the, my number one is like, oh, do I have my gun on my hip? And can it be easily accessed with my back turned to somebody? Or, you know, that that's a lot. And I, I just they don't even think highly of us to pay us more than what they pay us or to give us, you know the resources necessary we would rather spend money on a gun resource which is not cheap by any means um than to just because if you're going to give us the gun then you have to give us time to shoot the gun um you would have to give us ammunition to practice with so you'd rather spend your money on that than just making the schools safer in general or making better laws or you know whatever it takes to make sure that they're not having mass shootings at schools um it just it seems it seems like a way to sell somebody some somebody's getting some money it seems like a nice way to get a contract in somebody's hand in thinking about that you know watching Uvalde um that mass shooting at Rob Elementary um watching everything unfold has been a bit different for me than the past shootings and I don't know if it's I paid more attention or if it's just that it was a whole hot mess um but if some trained officers from varying departments couldn't get it together to to put a plan of action into place that they practice, mm-hmm. <laughs> that they're trained for, I just think it's asinine to think that we're going to arm our teachers and that suddenly they're going to be the heroes in this. And one, you know, you remember when mama sent us a text and I, it was after another mass shooting. So it wasn't even after this one when she mm-hmm. said, I don't want no heroes. Yeah. And to get a message like that from your mom, because she, she used to be a teacher, all her, her kids are teachers, for to know that that message came with a little bit of anxiety or a little bit of fear that your mom had to say, like, I want you to come home. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not really worried about everybody else. I want you to make it home. That's rough. Yeah, like well, no one, no with- one, no one else. Well, I shouldn't say no one else, but I'm. I was thinking to myself, like, in what other positions other than, let's say, military or security or police or even fire, um, like outside of first responders and military, where are people thinking? Oh my gosh, I mean, I may have to, I may have to lay my life on the line for some kids today. Yeah, no. Well, even in that 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 concept, they keep. I, I mean, I'm sure that the teachers did what they, they could do, but mm-hmm. I'm not, I can't, I can't say that, that we should be teaching that. Like even, you know, we have those drills with the kids always tell them, you know, you have to, if you're already in, you're already outside, you're staying outside and you're running away. You're not, you're not looking for your friends. You're not, you're running away and you had out in the woods till till the next day if you have to but that's that's what you're going to do um if somebody comes in here Miss Young can't save all y'all that's just it's not it's not plausible it's not reasonable and it's not logical so um how am i going to you know be teaching a class about logic and reason when we talk about the enlightenment but then do some unreasonable stuff or tell them unreasonable things and it's like you know they have to learn you know it's bigger than the teacher can't save you. And I, I don't, I don't like that concept that, they, you know, other duties as assigned includes jumping in front of a gun. No, I don't, I don't think that's what that, that means. But do I think they try to teach that and instill that and that teachers are supposed to lay our lives on the line for students? I think they do. Um, I think it's foolish to think that you should. 
um, because once again, it's unreasonable to think that one, with the weapons that come in these schools, that you can do anything um, outside of save yourself. Um, and that and no matter what, it's going to be a tragedy, you know? Mm -hmm. So why make it worse on yourself? Now, if you're fighting for yourself, yeah, by all means. But I don't think to like go looking to see, you know, where somebody's in the hallway and things I always feel like that's a little rough because you're supposed to, you know, look out in the hallway to see. And it's like, well, within that second, you looking out to save some somebody else, you end up dead. Was that worth it? I know I was reading a post um, in this principal group on Facebook and someone had just mentioned that they worked or I think they started teaching in an open concept classroom. It wasn't even related to the school shootings, but someone jumped in on that conversation and was like, open concept what do y'all do if there's an active shooter and I've taught in open concept school that eventually had kind of like these accordion I don't know it was like particle board partitions. accordion type partitions yeah it, it was it was rough um but I guess I my question is what what do we do for those campuses now? It, you know, if you look in the Houston area, um, some of these districts have a lot of open concept schools that look like just like one large room that's separated by short bookshelves to give you the illusion that you've got groupings going on. Um, what, I mean, what do we do in those cases? I mean, I, I, I think in today's time, it, you, you have to do something. Um, but then the, the problem is the solution to that, to build a wall, is, is still going to be a crap wall. It's not going to be a wall that's going to save you. I think it's sad to say that you, we can't have that, the, the open concept, and be safe. Because, you know, I, I mean, I do. We think, I think about it in our school, like, where do you go? I do, I do know one place it's pretty safe if I were in a certain area of the school um but it's like wh what are you supposed to do when there is nowhere i mean because hiding under a desk is a desk is like putting a band-aid over a bullet wound it's not helping anything so i don't really know and i don't think i don't really don't think with an open concept classroom there is a solution you can't i mean you can't hide you tell them to go to the restroom why there's gonna be a thousand kids in the restroom that's probably worse off than if you just keep them separated and running ragged um, I don't know. Do you tell them everybody should go to the nearest exit and run and then let them figure it out from there? That's a hard yeah, one. Yeah, but even it's though rough. with those, what do y'all, um, I guess, because you go to the interior, what do y'all do, um, for duck and cover drills? Um, for open concept. So yeah. for duck and cover, you would just line the outsides uh -huh. just away from the windows. Window? Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, sound like it. I mean, I guess. It's that false sense. I think that, because um, it's not going to be in a high school, it's going to be elementary. Uh, that would be more or less that false sense of security, just like in World War when they were like the bomb drills, mm -hmm. the Red Scare and all that. They were like, oh, you just get under the desk. What's that doing? Right. Nothing. Have you guys had active shooter drills on your campus? Um, We do uh, the lockouts. Um, we... The lockout and lockdown drills. Yeah, we just do lockout, lockdowns. We haven't actually like did something where like maybe they're supposed to be here. Um, I know I I posed a question or we posed a question years ago um, about some some issues where we we feel like something else needs to be done. 
a lot of middle schools don't have phones. So um, for lockdown, lockout, or any of these drills, you're reliant on somebody getting on the loudspeaker, doop, 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 you know, teachers mm -hmm. and students were having, well, theoretically speaking, it would probably happen in that area of the school. So you're like, what happens when nobody knows? We, we don't, we really don't know. Because, um, uh, I mean, part of the drill is you're not supposed to have your phone out, although I'm sure many adults do, but you're not um, supposed to be worried about that. And so um, if you're at the end of the school where it's not happening, we really don't, we don't really know the answer to that part. You know, if there is a real active shooter and there is no announcement, you're just supposed to be listening, I guess, for the gunshots. But that seems to be that seems to be, you know, as if you're not in an active classroom. I mean, there's times where people are, you know, talking overhead and you're like, is somebody saying Miss Young? Um, I can't tell. Right. Uh, be quiet real quick. Um, so if you're you're in an engaged activity, I'm not sure necessarily that you would always hear it or somebody gets, you know, not all weapons make noises. Let's just be honest. So have any changes been made since you guys expressed those concerns or not really? No, um, I, I've done some things. I know as far as like my own, uh, I'm, I'm near that little thing. So I kind of, I, I always kind of just listen to go what's on the hall. If anybody's classroom ever seems too loud, like I'm always, you know, quiet down, let's see what it is. And then we'll continue. Um, and then I've added just, I have, you know, slight modifications to my room that I always add to make sure that we're just quickly able to, get into lockout uh lockdown drills oh child there's so much you can say about that about this topic but i oh, think we're gonna yes. switch we're gonna switch gears again as you know it's june it's pride month and next month i'll actually be presenting at a conference and the topic will be the power of welcoming environments for lgbtq plus students credit to you for my uh proposal you know, title you know. <laughs> so the question I have for you is what advice do you have for teachers regarding supporting LGBTQ plus students? Um, I think the biggest thing is that as a teacher, you, you, you do have to look out for your own biases and make sure you're not projecting them. Um, and so, you know, every kid comes with a different story. Um, everybody comes from a different culture, literally, because everybody comes from a different household. Um, and so I think as far as the LGBTQ community and um, and working with those who identify as anything in there, um, I think they just need to know that you treat them the same way you treat others. So if you're a strict teacher who's, you know, no nonsense, always saying no, you tell them no, just like you tell everybody else no. Um, if you're, you know, lovey-dovey and, you know, you're always giving compliments and pats on the back, well, you make sure that you're giving them that same level of pat on the back that you've given those other kids. Um, I think that they um, can respect that, especially depending on your topic. I mean, when you're in, uh, when you're anything in the arts, so liberal arts uh, included, I think those type of things come up. I mean, if you're asking them for a personal narrative and their personal narrative is about their two moms, you know, listen to it. You know, if you're, if you're everybody's saying we had a wonderful weekend, they should, you should embrace it. If you know they have two moms, you know, and maybe they're not sure if they should say it, okay, be like, hey, what did you and your moms do? You know, um, if, if it's someone that you know, you know, they're, they're on the football team as well as maybe masculine presenting, it's kind of like you've asked all the girls about their volleyball, you know, 
ask them about their football or um, if you see that they have a new haircut, you know, same way that you do anybody else. Like, hey, I see you got a new haircut. Looks nice on you. Um, if if you're, you know, know that they like masculine um, pronouns, you know, and, and, and using them, you know, in the way at which they want, that, that helps. I think there's most importantly, I think they just need to feel like you like them you know, for who they are, uh, because a lot of them do have rough days, unfortunately. Um, and when you hear the teachers who have said something and you're like, man, you probably shouldn't have said that because that, that probably hurt deeper than what you think. Um, you know, uh, you know, you make, not necessarily make fun of them, but you ask them, you know, like, why are you wearing that? And you're like, because he identifies a little bit differently. You know, he, his nails are done the same way you would compliment someone else's because a lot of times you know these kids come and they they feel great about what they have on so just support it um i think it's not our place to tell them that they're right or wrong about what they're doing so uh i feel like if they think you're judging that's when they get uncomfortable and they don't they don't feel welcomed and loved and then they don't want to perform for you. They don't want to do their best. And it's not necessarily because they can't. It's just like, why do why do better for you when you don't even like me? You don't care for me, you know? Okay, that's that's a, a mouthful right there. So check your biases. <laughs> Gotta check your yeah. biases. I like that you said check your biases and be sure that you're not projecting them. Um, I, you know, I think people have their beliefs about things. Um, but as especially public school teachers, like, I check that at the door. Yeah. And I think it also goes back to some of the, you know, as adults, not all adults are who they want to be. And so I think when you think about maybe what they've gone through and things like that, they're like, well, you know, maybe I wanted to be more open with myself and they're not. And so I think that also uh, when, when kids know that you're being your authentic self, I think it's different. So for me, um, like kids know I'm, I'm a little bit different than the rest. And I, I think they're just like, okay, like Miss Yang doesn't care. You know, she, she has on male clothing and she really could care less that all the other teachers have on dresses. Um, and I think that part where they just kind of see like, man, this teacher is who, who they are the same way they see, you know, another teacher who is just being them true, their true selves. You can tell when, it, I think kids for sure know when kid, parents and adults are being fake, but to have their teacher be fake too, I think is different because you see them so much. And so it's like, it's hard to respect somebody who um, doesn't necessarily respect themselves. Okay, let's talk names. What's in a name, right? So a rose by any other name would smell as sweet, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you guys may know that <laughs> from Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. And um, Juliet's kind of like arguing that it doesn't matter that Romeo's from the House of Montague. And the reference, <laughs> the reference is often used to state that, the, you know, the names of things don't really affect what they are. And I will tell you, I beg to differ. <laughs> so at every school where there was more than one Black teacher, so a Black teacher uh, other than me, but most of the staff and students were non-Black, I've been called by the other Black teacher's name. So I'll give you some examples. <laughs> one example is I was walking with this kid. I was actually walking with a group of kids. And uh, we were walking the kids across the street for dismissal. And this fifth grader that I've kind of come to know only through dismissal says to me, Miss, 
uh, you changed your shoes. And I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> these are my same shoes. And it's like, no, no, you had on Jordans. And I, you know, give you some context at the time, I didn't even own a pair of Jordans. So I'm looking at him like, boy what are you talking about <laughs> so um he keeps you know he's arguing me down about these Jordans that I had supposedly changed out of into my little Dr. Shoals because you know my feet are bad and I was like that must have been the other black teacher and he goes miss that's racist <laughs> <laughs> and, puts his, and puts his head down um and you know back to what you said earlier about kids kind of whispering black that that is something that I see in um <laughs> in elementary too is the kids kind of think like the word black is this sort of curse word that you don't say out loud and I don't know when this transition happened in my career I've been teaching 14 years I don't remember it always being that way but there was some time where that shift happened and I'm not sure why. But another example is um, this kid, I see this kid, um, you know, he's coming from a, a self-contained classroom to lunch. And I usually only see this kid at lunch. And so he's in his line, I'm monitoring the lunch line. And he like starts to tell me how he saw me at a party. I never talked to this kid. Well, I shouldn't say I never talked to him. I've tried to talk to him, but he never like engages in an actual conversation with me. So this day when he did, I was kind of caught off guard. <laughs> but this conversation is like, man, you know, I saw you at the party and he told me all the details, right, of what I <laughs> ate and who I was with. And so I was telling him, no, no, you know, I didn't go to a party because one, I don't go to kids' parties. <laughs> but <laughs> you're like, I'm, a, I'm an adult. <laughs> no, but With no kids. <laughs> right. So I started telling this other teacher who happens to be black um, about it. It's like, hey, so and so say, you know, he saw me at a party and he insists. I mean, he's going to argue me down about how he saw me at this party. And then she realizes it was her that was at this party with her kids over the weekend. And I, I don't know what that is. Like kids, adults are constantly mixing up us black teachers. So what's your uh, <laughs> being called by another black teacher's name story? I'm, I mean, so first off, um, at the school I've been working at, um, there, there's not there's not many of us uh, female um, brown uh, skinned women. So um, none none of them look like me at all, um, whether it's in height, skin tone, just appearance. And so, but the worst one has to be a leadership member, a major leadership member, did not know my name. Um, I, 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 I would see the guy three three times a day, walk by him, um, and I really hadn't realized he didn't know my name um, because why wouldn't you, your leadership? Um, you should know all the teachers' names. Um, but it was brought to my attention at a, a sporting event because I, I I have it very, I've learned through uh, um, my mother that, you know, if someone calls your name, I don't respond. If it's not my name, I don't respond. So I guess the the member of leadership had been calling, and I'm just going to, we're going to call it Johnson, had been calling Johnson. And finally, someone standing next to me was like, hey, I think he's talking to you. I was like, nobody called my name. He's like, he's been calling you Johnson, but I, I'm pretty sure he's talking to you. And so I turned, it's like, sure enough, 
he thought I was Johnson. Um, but Johnson was standing right next to me. Um, and Johnson is a six foot something male um, basketball player, looks like a basketball player. So two different people, five foot two, he's six foot five or so. Um, and the teacher thought, or the teacher, the admin thought that Johnson was I and that um, Young was Johnson's new name. And so I thought we had cleared it up then. Then, you know, he's upstairs, this ad man calling out Johnson, Johnson from upstairs. And once again, I don't respond because I don't hear. If it's not my name, I don't hear it. I'm standing next to my door that has a nameplate Young on it. We all have like official nameplates. And so obviously somebody has to get my attention again. I'm like, this this person does not know my name um, to a point where the, it was like this running joke with all the white teachers that it's because y'all are black. He, he can't tell the difference. And I'm like, but this is sad, but true, because there's nothing why I don't understand. We don't look alike. Not at all. You know, but, something similar happened to me now with leadership, but with the PE coach. Right. So as an elementary teacher, you're seeing the PE coach two to three times a week. And so this PE teacher is like, she's calling Miss So-and-so on the mic. I'm just going to say Jackson for the purposes of this, but she's calling Miss Jackson on the mic. She's talking to Miss Jackson on the mic. I don't even know where the PE teacher is at this point. I just hear her. And then I'm really becoming confused because Miss Jackson is not in the room. And so eventually this PE teacher kind of appears out of nowhere. <laughs> And she's like, she's still talking and she comes and touches me on the shoulder and she's calling me Miss Jackson two more times, but right there in my face. And so I'm like, oh, okay. I have to tell her, you know, um, you know, I'm not Miss Jackson and tell her I'm Miss Young. And I want to be clear and say that this was my second year on that campus at the time, right? And that PE teacher was not new. Um, and it did not even stop there. So like after that day where she's, you know, oh, I'm so embarrassed about, you know, having mixed up your name with the one only other black teacher <laughs> on the campus. Um, she still continued that for like a month. Um, even though I'd been at the school now for at that point in the year, probably been a year and a half at that point in the year. And so um, I got to a point where I would just ignore it because like you said, if you're not using my actual name, um, I'm not responding. And it yeah. was feeling a bit ridiculous to me. It feels to me when this happens and, you know, I know that some people will say you're being too sensitive. Um, you know, I feel like people invalidate your experiences at times. You know, for me, when you consistently mix me up, with other black teachers um, and we have differences, you know, like one is taller than, a lot taller than me or a lot thinner than me or a lot darker than me or our eye colors are different, our hair texture is different. Like when there's so many differences between us and you're still mixing us up, it feels to me like when they're not in my presence, I'm just referred to as the black teacher. Mm. or one of the black teachers and so when they come across <laughs> one of the black teachers it's whichever name you know they're gonna throw out one of those names it feels yeah. to me like maybe we're not talked about as individuals um outside of um our presence no I could see that being more like you know the, one, the black teachers that teach fourth grade 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, <laughs> what's your teaching while Black memorable moment? Um, see, I, the, I, the one that's most memorable to me actually was before I was even hired as a teacher. Um, only because you just can't tell me that white people go through the same thing. Um, so during the interview process, um, I, I kept getting, you know, rejected. Uh, I, you know, I, I didn't get the offers. And so I had went and I had looked to someone who is it like to me, she's, she's, she's district level, um, you know, boss for, for my athletics portion of my uh, contract. And you know, she's in, she's there in one of the meetings. Finally, I'm with there, her and I'm this meeting. And she had nothing to say about why I didn't get the job. Um, and she, she, she said, but they said, and I, I wholeheartedly don't think it's from her. Um, I, I think that it was said to her was that they wanted me to laugh more in, in the interview. And I was just like, who gets told that they're supposed to be laughing and joking in an interview? Because if I would have went in there laughing and joking and being a comedian, what would have been their response then? I'm too serious. I mean, I'm not serious enough. And so I felt like for me, I don't think that happens. Uh, when I when I look at the makeup of, you know, who, who gets leadership positions and stuff, there's not many people that are black. And so I'm kind of like, well, it, you know, even before you get to the teaching portion of it, the fact that, you know, I'm supposed to be laughing, I'm, you know, um, I'm no one Sambo. So I don't, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a minstrel show. Um, we're not, when I don't understand why I would need to be laughing and joking about getting a serious job, especially serious enough to where y'all want us to carry guns. Um, and so that was memorable. But then as a teacher, I think a memorable moment, it wasn't um, necessarily with me. It was with one of my students and how they were treated or a response to, um, obviously, um, for like I said earlier, you should be your authentic self with children. I think be yourself. So like, um, I have a pan African flag. It's huge. Actually, it's quite large. Um, <laughs> I have a pan African flag. Um, this is in my room. And so like, on occasion, kids will ask and I'm like, Oh, why? Why? I'll let you know what that means. Um, and so some the black kids know what it is. They may not know the name of it. but They definitely know that means you're black. And so um, there's this one child who is definitely Afro Latina to the fullest extent, like black people look at her and you know, you know. Um, and so she was having an experience with another white teacher and where she was telling the teacher that she was Afro Latina. And I remember that teacher coming back and just was like, what is Afro Latina? That's not even a thing. It's just like, you gotta be kidding me that you would take away that lady's culture, that girl's culture in such a quickness that you thought it was memorable enough to bring it up to us instead of educating yourself on the fact that like, yeah, she is not the same type of black as me. Like I, I, you might think that we're the same type of black, but we're not like I can look at her and she can look at me and we both know that each other aren't in the same boat of black. We're both black. We're just not in the same boat. And just that, that sense of, you know, how could you invalidate a whole culture in such a quickness? And how is she supposed to feel like you accept her if you can't even accept the fact that even if she like she, if she told you and you've never heard of that in your life, it's still not up to you to say it's fake, you know? Um, 
it's real to her and I know her dad and um because he, he he works in the district as well oh she is definitely Afro-Latina and uh a Latina and she comes from um, a very um strong personality family um so I mean she's literally trying to give you a piece of herself and and I can't believe she had just kind of tore down like that and it's just like the fact that she said it is probably because she knows that she she um people treat her that way often and that she has to tell people who she is so that you understand who she is um because white people don't walk around telling you that they're white um so that that there was kind of disheartening to to listen to as if that kid was wrong about who she was right i would say um i you know (laughs) of course there are there are many moments right but one that sticks out to me, if, if I'm thinking about like my teaching while Black experience, I've had a lot of negative ones, right? But I'm not going to give power to that. Um, I did have one year, uh, it's actually at my first school moving into the Houston area, where the school is more diverse than what it was in San Antonio. And so when I tell people that my schools in San Antonio weren't very diverse, in their mind, they're like, what? San Antonio is diverse. And when people hear the term diverse, they just mean has people of color, right? Mm -hmm. But my schools were, you know, mostly, I would say 85%, maybe even higher, uh, Hispanic, Um, you know, a smaller percentage of Black and even smaller of white. So no, it wasn't very culturally diverse. I didn't even teach my first, you know, Chinese student or Vietnamese student or Indian student. You know, there's so many cultures that I've had a chance to teach since moving to the Houston area. Um, But at that school, I had a parent, I, I don't know if it was meet the teacher night or if it was open house, but this parent of Chinese descent came and straight up told me that she was glad that her child had a black teacher and it Mm. caught me so off guard um and and I'm not even sure why I mean I guess my initial thought is wow because she's not black (laughs) yeah I think that when I've heard that it's been from other black people yeah mine always from others that are black so to hear it from someone of a different um, ethnicity or nationality or culture, it, it really caught me off guard, but like in a good way, you know, but then it, it got me to thinking, you know, I think I had my first black teacher in middle school. I think yeah, oh, we had a lot of them in middle school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so did you have a black teacher before um, no. middle school? Now that you say it, hold on, let me I mean, no. outside of, you know, let's um, not forget that daycare. our parents are our first teachers. Yeah, yeah, um, outside of daycare, no. Right, right. And so. always been Hispanic or white. Right. And so I'm just wondering, what do you think the impact is for these students that are, are now having access to Black teachers at a younger age? Do you think that makes a difference? I think you know, because it's similar to what they say, like in the magazines, you know, it's like the, the ideal of beauty came because all you saw were these white, thin women, right? That, that So that was the goal. But now that people are saying like, oh, you can have curly hair, you can have coiled hair, you can have straight, in, like it doesn't matter. You can be light skin, dark skin, you can have, you know, um, all kinds of um, different, you know, changes. Um, even now that they're, they're putting um, people who have various skin disorders and things like that, you know, and saying like, oh, that's a model. And so, 
I think it has that same effect. If you've never been taught, because even in college, you could, I kind of saw it where, you know, the African teachers usually have a strong, thick accent or something. And all of a sudden, it's like you couldn't understand. And I was like, you can understand this guy. Just take some time, right? And, 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 and listen. Um, I think if you're if you are um, influenced at a younger age, it, it's better for you. Um, I think they're going to just learn to appreciate the fact that um, it doesn't mean that it's wrong because it comes from somebody else. Um, it doesn't mean that it's right because it's only coming from a certain person. I know for me, when we were taught by black teachers, I mean, it was, it was good for us. I don't, I don't think we would be who we are if we weren't, um, able to experience that part of our academic career um, where we were taught by blacks um, at a high rate um, and that we saw, you know, like there's a different connection. I think you, you, you know, your culture, because remember as a teacher, you said that that classroom culture, I definitely think my classroom culture is different than all the other teachers. And some of it is because I'm black, I think, because, you know, there's this different expectation. There's this different set of boundaries. There's this sense of, um, you know, our, our relationships are different, I think, with kids than maybe that of someone who, um, you know, is a, a white person teaching a bunch of white kids. Um, and so I think it gives them the ability to just have an acceptance of different people because they're going to see the difference. You, you're going to see the difference. Um, it's just like when you get taught by a male teacher, there's a difference, you know, whether he's more laxed or he's more serious. There's always a difference with that male teacher than than your your female teachers. So I think we should have more. I know it's hard to get them out there because for obvious reasons, but um, it'd be nice if they would be more willing to hire them because even though there might be only two black kids in your school, it wouldn't hurt for them to see themselves in somebody in that school. So we've got to start wrapping this episode up, but I want to end with what advice do you have specifically for new black teachers or those that are in teacher preparation programs? Um, I think for me, and I'm, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier, I think be yourself. Um, I know we've been trained to a certain extent that we're supposed to kind of conform. And do I think that everybody in this world has to conform to a certain extent? Yes, to be successful. Um, so I do think that you should be more of yourself, be more willing to um, step up and say, you know, when something's not right, I know whenever you're going to see stuff that you're like, well, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, and maybe just talking up to it, talking, talking about it, not, not necessarily, you know, with the principal and all those, but to that individual, I think share your experiences. Um, when we're in those situations where we're in planning, some of us, uh, the majority teachers, um, get to kind of be more lax. And I think now, I've, I know for sure I've gotten to the point where it just I'm, I'm going to talk the way, you know, it's not going to be impro uh, unprofessional, but it doesn't have to be like I'm going on a job interview, um, you know, uh, making sure that you're adding your your piece of information from your perspective, because our perspectives are different, uh, making sure that it's not always from theirs. Uh, when we're doing things, we're trying to add culture and try to make it fun for kids. What we see as fun is 
sometimes a little bit different, but why can't they learn about that too? Why can't they play that game as well? Why can't they learn about um, this this way of growing up? Because at the end of the day, them learning about a different culture isn't going to hurt them. Um, if anything, it makes them stronger because, I mean, we all know that we, we, we have, you know, people who we see as um, part of the community that who are <laughs> not Black. And the reason why you're allowing them to be a part of that community is because they, they just roll with it. They're just like, hey, that's that's you know that's what you do whether it's you know that one white person that goes to a black church and you're like well why are they here they like something so um those kids might find out that they like more um we know that they listen to our music we know that they listen to you know some of our celebrities and our stars so there is a connection i think it's our job to kind of bring it to them but the only way we can do that is by being ourselves and and allowing it to happen so in those planning processes putting out things that, you know, are part of our culture. Not, don't just stick to theirs. And what, what's always been done doesn't mean that that's the only way it can be done. Right. Okay, Angela. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the inaugural episode of the Teaching Wild Black podcast. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. Be sure to follow the Teaching Wild Black podcast on Twitter at teaching underscore black. If you have questions, stories to share, or you want to be a guest on the podcast, please send an email to teachingwhileblackpod at gmail.com. Until we're black at it again, this is your host, Dre. Sorry.